始めgentlemen legionaries this is general lance joined with you by sergeant barnes my handle of whiskey and clark savage welcome clark savage how are you doing <laughs> welcome uh yeah good to see you again sergeant barnes so, <laughs> always good to see you yes he's very quiet he, he he doesn't like uh yapping too much you know him but um anyway you know thank you so much for coming on the transmission i really appreciate it especially because I've been a long-time fan. I admire you by, uh, from afar, especially with your book, uh, King of All Things, which is, uh, by the way, I'll put a URL below the, in the uh, description here, Legionaries. It's really great. I highly recommend you read it. Um, and, uh, I mean, aside from that, I love your Twitter as well. Um, but I, I guess I wanted to ask you, what was the main impetus for you to write that book, and what, what's the background about that? Yeah. So, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I uh, appreciate the kind words. And I think we've been longtime mutuals now uh, on Twitter and uh, appreciate having the chance to come on and, and talk a little bit. So uh, about the book, you know, it's kind of funny because I've done a couple of podcasts now where I've talked about everything but the book. So, you know, maybe it's time to circle back here and and talk about the project here. Um you know, I think the real impetus behind it was really kind of an aging process for me, to be honest with you, that started thinking about, you know, as my training changes over the course of my life, and as you start to age, you kind of have to tweak things a little bit of, you know, what you're doing in the gym, what you're doing with uh, martial training and all that, and, and it just ends up changing on you as you age, you just can't do the same types of things exactly, or you maybe don't want to, um, especially injury and, and things crop up that you maybe throttle back a little bit. So, so I started thinking, you know, I, at that point is when I really started transitioning to doing more Twitter and commentary. And this was kind of an extension of the Twitter really of trying to do more long form thinking about laying down some ideas of things that I've come across and, and people that I think are valuable um, that should be remembered and maybe put together into one volume so that people have a one-stop shop for thinking about how they want to, whether it's themselves, their young you know, nephews, their sons, getting people involved in um, preparing for violence, basically. So that's really was the impetus there of you know sort of a transitioning to an older man interesting because i mean i mean here's the thing i'm a much younger man i guess i mean well not anymore my hairline's starting to recede fuck my life but it's it's a caesar hairline so <laughs> you know i'll take it i'll do the bright side about it but um you know the funny thing is uh when i was a kid there isn't really much you know there's no book or movie that's kind of like a touchstone, a, a guiding path to discovering this kind of ethic, right? I'm lucky that my mom's a super hard ass and she, you know, got me into Brazilian jiu-jitsu when I was at the ripe age of five. Um, and, you know, she's always been very, uh, I guess, how do I say, like uh, in America, we have this weird ethic of peace and softness and uh, whatever kind of disgusting communist shit. And uh, ultimately, my mom has always been one to be kind of a hard ass and, you know, not just stand up for myself, but others stand up for what's right, even if you're alone. And the ethic that ultimately uh, it comes down to force, having the force to impose good or evil and so on. And, um, you know, 
it's been a lifelong search for me because this, the funny thing is, I think, in my view, um, man, most men are born to be followers. Very few are born to be warriors. And I think because of that small demographic, by virtue of that, and because we don't usually spend time writing, um, there's not much, there, there are not many resources outside of the military, which is highly technical, um, to get started. And so, which is one of the reasons why I love your book, because, and I bought your book for a number of my different younger, um, let's say, family relations. I don't want to give too much information, uh, simply because of the fact that, I mean, it goes into everything, and I'm reading from the table of context now. Uh, you know, it talks about big picture things from shore to crumbling shore, so big philosophical background to, of course, the canon as far as the base discipline of a warrior, so fitness, strength, um, you know, uh, the origins of such and the Greek origins. And it goes on from there. I mean, it goes into a whole bunch of detail in martial arts, into physical fitness, into uh, leaders, martial virtues, even has this very interesting chapter of Christianity and war. And I mean... And, and especially, I think, the most salient one, which I really resonated with you, was the chapter Modern Military Service. Now, I guess I, for you, I mean, you know, do, do I mind if I ask, do you mind if I ask you, were you in the military? Like, what's your background as far as that's concerned? Yeah, I'm, I'm a military veteran. Uh, I have a Marine Corps background, which I, I know I've talked about on Twitter. So I'm not really revealing anything there. Um, and wartime service and global war on terrorism mm -hmm. uh, overseas. Um, and that's sort of my basic background. The, um, you know, a lot of the stuff from the book actually comes from that, um, you know, especially the sections on the leadership, the sections on some of the mentality of, taking a martial mindset, um, you know, the looking at things with a martial eye, um, that whole section is completely derived from military background, military experience overseas and, and, uh, some of the other sections too. Um, you know, there's some firearms related things in there that definitely are, you know, all Marines have a certain connection to, their rifles and, and the oh, sort of a way of approaching marksmanship and a way of approaching knowing your weapon and taking it apart um, definitely has a Marine stamp to it. Um, Kill? And then, you know, <laughs> otherwise, you know, most of my background otherwise is uh, I was really into boxing when I was younger and um, I did a little grappling too and it the a little bit of MMA type training, but uh, definitely much more experience in in boxing as far as unarmed, I unarmed see. things. So, and, and I mean, obviously, we're talking about you know the the book, and I guess you know you writing it and stuff. I mean, it, does this come from a reaction to society around you? I know you have a lot of commentary, you know, from Twitter about how things are, you know, now, and you know, I kind of wanted to get your perspective as far as the military's culture is concerned, how it changed through your time in and how it's changed since you've gone out. And, uh, you know, what are some suggestions you might have to either fixing it or if you have, you know, any kind of wider co American cultural critiques or like <laughs> perceptions that you may have that you kind of are part of the reason why you have your project? Yeah. As far as now, I can't, tell you much other than what I hear um, from people that are either still in or were out more recently than me and you know it's all it's pretty much all bad is what I hear now so uh, you know there's always going to be things that you get from your military service especially if you do it the right way and I think there's right ways and wrong ways to do it regarding what you get into and um, you know there's there's a better and a worse way but i think it's trending towards worse here and the reason is because so many fundamental things have changed you know now they have even the marine corps has co-ed boot camp there's co-ed infantry uh you know and that stuff wasn't around 
Um, and the, you know, candidly, when you're, if you're hanging around an infantry battalion 15, 20 years ago, it's, uh, was, you know, you'd have some Mexicans in there, but it was pretty white. Um, you're, you're very few blacks, even, especially actually infantrymen. Um, you might get some in the admin sections and, and such, and, you know, in, in comms, um, detachments and stuff, but, you know, it was very white and there weren't any women around. And the, from what I understand now, it's changed pretty drastically. So you're going to get a completely different experience. Now, the skill set you're going to get is similar, mm-hmm. obviously, but uh, the nature of the leadership experience is going to be different. You know, it, obviously, it's much more political now. So um, I'm a younger buck than that. you, and uh, just wanted to interject just before we move on. Um, you're going down that route because it's really interesting because I was there during the time when the Marine Corps, when they were transitioning from all male, you know, I, I guess, well, technically speaking, it had been opened up to women for a long time, but because IOC was so tasking for officers that they had to, on numerous occasions and iterations, lower the standard um, a number of times, not just physical ones, but leadership wise as well. And ultimately, you know, well, I don't want to divulge too much because I also don't want to give away too much of my personal self. But let, let us just say that um, all the, the the rumors of, you know, what would happen in that circumstance where, you know, w- women are out in the field with a whole bunch of dudes, it, happen- it, it shook out basically exactly how people were saying it was going to shake out. And it continues to do so. And that was one of the concerning things for me is because a lot of the standards are lowered. And, I mean, I'm sure that you know this, but the majority of warfare is one of willpower and culture. And uh, ultimately, when you add that to the dynamic, the dynamic changes. Leadership is, it's like there's a race to the bottom to to compete over woman as opposed to what a band of brothers do in a war, which is, you know, mutual assistance and assurance. And so the dynamic changes, morale plummets, and there's this kind of Byzantine weird vibe to everything in doublespeak. And it's unfortunate because, I mean, I know a lot of people that go there to escape that, to seek something that's truly, um, you know, a a calling. And, of course, then it's kind of all the the floor is taken out from that that area because of that dynamic. And um, so I just wanted to aid what you're saying. It is definitely very bad. And uh, a lot of people, they ask themselves, uh, you know, is it hard to be infantry or is it hard to do basic, uh, you know, military stuff? And I'd say no. What's difficult is the actual cultivation of the calluses, you know, cultivation of the will of uh, exposure to danger, exposure to hardship and uh, persevering. And that is precisely what differentiates, you know, the discipline of the undisciplined and the exception of the exceptional. I mean, I don't know if you agree with that or not. Yeah, no, I do agree with that. It's, you know, as the culture changes in the military, then you're going to lose a lot of the things that that draw young men towards, you know, doing that. And then plus you obviously have the problems because of our government, which, you know, when it gets down to it, what is someone that's in the military, they're a servant of the government ultimately. And, um, and, you know, I think anyone that's listening to this podcast is going to have some problems with what the United States government has been up to, um, in recent years, decades. So, you know, so that's actually a chapter. The book was written like well, about two years ago. And that chapter is one that the one that you were referring to about, military service towards the end you know i i was a little hemming and hawing on where i wanted to to land on that but now i to be candid with you i people that i actually know in my life you know cousins and stuff that talk to me about wanting to do military service i tend to say no Mm -hmm. i tend to advise no just because of where things have come out at this point uh so you know, it's even in recent years, it, it continues to change and continues to get worse, from my impression. 
It is, and you're absolutely right. I, I think, in general, if you're a normal person, um, I would recommend against it. I think I would recommend, if you are hell-bent on doing so, going to, I don't know, the French Foreign Legion, maybe. Um, but, but I think you're right. I mean, unless you're someone like, you know, who's patriotic even before that, who's, you know, cognizant of... The, you know, for instance, they have a lot of these lectures now, they call it equal opportunity, but it's just, it's basically the same as the uh, Chinese indoctrination camps during the Korean War, where it's based on self-crit and this kind of Marxian um, criticism. And of course, it's, it's always aimed at, you know, um, you know, a certain ethnic group, right? And it's never, it's, it's, it's very much, it's very caustic and bad. And the issue that it causes is systemic because people are afraid to uphold the standard um, because of the ramifications of those standards being upheld against someone who is protected ostensibly by this Marxist kind of agency. And so, like, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, because if you're very, if you're not careful, um, basically what you'll end up do is end up getting kicked out or in jail. And you see that recently with COVID. You see that recently with a number of different issues that are tangential to just one. So it's not, it's, you know, it's an all pervasive issue. And one of my main concerns, of course, is that this is being pushed by a, like a subversive element due to the fact that it, it's, it's a way of disarming us from within. And uh, I mean, I know you've spoken a lot about communism before. I know you've tapered off and uh, transition towards a new direction, which I agree with. Uh, you know, however, I think for the purposes of this podcast, I would like you to elucidate as far as what you see as like a problem in the wider United States. Yeah, I, I mean, it's I see where we are as a country has been. You know, it's kind of the ultimate uh, landing spot of you know, the ultimate result and fruition of policies that have been going on throughout the entire 20th century, whether you're talking about immigration, whether you're talking about, um, you know, this Gramscian movement through the institutions that the left engaged in in the 20th century, where now, you know, the level of indoctrination has been set in for a couple generations and people are just bombarded with, um, leftist kind of communist type thinking mm-hmm. uh to the point where now we're seeing the results of that you know up and down any institution whether you're talking about government whether you're talking about you know the courts uh, as we can see from these recent trump cases and some of the other high profile cases including uh, some of these people that are being prosecuted you know perry and penny and 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 these others that are being prosecuted on these ridiculous written house yeah. on these ridiculous charges uh, you're just seeing the fruition of this is the system now that's been in place that they've been moving towards for generations. Yep. So, you know, it's not something that can be fixed with a couple policy tweaks. It's uh, endemic. You, you know, I, I completely agree with you. And it's one of the main contentions or points of argumentation I had with my fellow like uh, officers a long time ago, but also, you know, within my family, because I think especially the older generations, when you're a fish in water, you can only sense, you don't sense the water, right? And, and that's part of the reason why they do it incrementally and slowly is because for them, what they call progress is it's a matter of course, that of course things will become more and more one way in one direction, you know, nadir down. And so, you know, when you're arguing with some people, it's, it's very difficult to show them um, – you know, how some things are just simply unacceptable. I mean, not even just unacceptable, but drifting away from the stated goal. And I mean, I think recently with in the, the 2020s have been one of the most pivotal years because I think they did it too fast. They started boiling frogs too fast, and too hot. And especially with the iconoclasm of taking down statues. I mean, even if it's Thomas Jefferson, for instance, or it's the blatant uh, propaganda with Netflix and the blatant uh, what they call culture can- can- cancel culture, but what it is is actually uh, a Marxian Maoist practice, which is uh, self-crit and uh, 
you know, something straight out of like Mao's uh, culture war, which is to disenfranchise, to uh, castigate people who are deemed reactionaries and counter-revolutionaries. And of course, that you know, nowadays that's cons- they they use different terminology. So now they call it woke Marxism, and of course they call it uh, you know racism, sexism, ableism, whatever it is that you know would be in the way ostensibly of a better future, a better tomorrow. And all that it's garnered is a further chasm in the middle. And for me, one of my main concerns is that I see patriots in America who are completely clueless and disarmed with a philosophy of life as some, you know, a, a city to aspire to, if you know what I'm saying, right? Like, you know, it's not just simply critiquing what is going wrong, but providing a framework of a vision of something to go and achieve, to progress towards. Because I don't think, quote-unquote, progress and, quote-unquote, conservatism is like, I think it's a psyop that we bought into. I think the truth is that we're working towards two very different things, and what they call us going up is bad. And so, ultimately, that's what Lance's Legion is, is providing Americans and, you know, Western civilization a different vision of how things can go and how things can be beautiful and I think that starts in the military or at least it starts in the military ethos and a warrior ethos and primarily leadership and I'm sure you remember this from the Marine Corps but leadership goes up and down the chain of command and it starts with one man having integrity having the moral fortitude, moral fortitude and the uh, strength of will to try something different and new. I mean, what's your perspective on that? <clears throat> uh, hey, Clark, I think we got attacked. But uh, no, but in any case, I think this is all going to say that I, I think not everything is lost. I think the future belongs to men who have leadership and who have the skills to impose what is right. I mean, is that kind of what your your take is as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a complicated question of what you mean of by the future and how things, what can remain and what can survive and what can take different forms. Um, so that's kind of a big can of worms. But um, at the end of the day, yeah, the, always in history, you're going to have people that are going to rise to the top because of their qualities, including their leadership qualities. And that's i don't think ever going to change but uh particular civilizations obviously rise and fall so well of course and of course i think uh you know history is replete with um examples examples of where civilization or a nation is imperiled and there comes a man who not simply saves a country but but reimbues it with a kind of spiritual strength that previously uh, had waned, right? And I think what comes to mind recently is uh, uh, Alexius Komnenos and the Alexiad and how the Byzantine Empire was really on its back heels and he just freaking, you know, went crazy and just, uh, you know, basically reconquered a large portion of the Byzantine Empire which had been on the wane. And, you know, history is replete with that. I mean, there's Justinian II and, of course, there's, uh, you know, geez, I mean counts immemorial and uh, I wouldn't want to go down that road as far as saying that the difference between success and failure I think comes down to the individual man of great strength and will right yeah I, I agree I agree with that definitely The and there's a ton of examples in history of individuals making a significant difference you know in fact there's a whole body of um historiography you know the sort of great man theory of history about how individual people have can have a disproportionate effect and there's there's a way of looking at history where that's the prime mover in fact in in human history so and you know the interesting thing it bears out in a lot of sociological studies as far as um unit uh, how do you say efficiencies and scales of production and that basically the one percent does roughly 50 percent of the work uh, the top 20 percent does roughly almost 90 percent of the work or something similar to that legionaries out there who are listening correct me if i'm wrong however i i think it bears out in reality 
Um, and I mean, it is neither here nor there, but as far as a personal question, if you don't mind, uh, you know, what is probably the best book you've ever read, read out there or the most impactful one, which made you want to go join the Marine Corps? You know, I don't think there was a book that made me join. It was more sort of intra-family type, you know, without getting into too much discussions. Um, I don't know that there was a book that inspired me. The uh, but just to, to dovetail on what you just mentioned, I think Pareto, that's a uh, uh, Wilfredo Pareto principle, isn't it? A power law principle, you know, the 80% or the 20% are going to do 80% of the work. You know, it's kind of a st statistics power law principle that you see across a, a number of domains, whether you're talking about sales or whether you're talking about uh, leadership or whether you're talking about people within a unit that are actually getting things done and, and or killers, for instance, um, you know, the number of men getting killed isn't evenly distributed, uh, or doing the killing is not evenly distributed throughout a unit. You know, there's going to be people that perform better in any war, um, and that's been reflected out. So that that power law principle, I think, goes along with, and it's very robust concept to apply to all of these things. That there are going to be people that fewer people doing more. You know, and and this is why I kind of push back on this mass, uh, this ideology of mass, which we've inherited from, of course, the Enlightenment, because, of course, we're, we're in, a, you know, the Masonic Revolution of 76 is an Enlightenment revolution. And I think we put a lot of emphasis on the masses when in reality it's it's cliques of elites who change and shape history. You know, it's 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 the less than 10 percent of the population which carries along the rest of it with itself. And, you know, just uh, <clears throat> the reason why I harp on that so much, because people, they believe that just because they are outnumbered by many people that somehow they can't win or impose their will or change the things that are going on around them. <clears throat> and I remind them. You know, that famous quote, it's uh, one man is 10,000 if he's best, and we aim to be one million, right? And so, I, I mean, like, it, it does really bear out, and uh, which is part and parcel of why I love your book, by the way, is because it's learning those basic skills. <clears throat> An exceptional person can be armed with the knowledge to change the world for the better. And I think it's remiss of society at large to believe that peace is good or that declawing people is good or that uh, necessarily seeking non-conflict or e even, you know, you see this in like modern day, like culture, like people, they're not even willing to argue with each other. They just call the cops or worse, they get in a fight and they end up killing each other. I mean, is that your perception too? Yeah, the... You know, tying it more back to the book now, the idea there is that these are things that I think in our past we tied with being a free man. You know, if you're a free man and not a slave or a serf, then you have to have some kind of contact with arms and some kind of capability to fight. And that has really died off now you know the, as you die as you progress in a civilization you tend to produce more of this type that where it's completely alien you know the type of person that can go decades in their life and they never even have sprinted much less like thrown a punch much less fired a gun much less done any of that thing in anger mm -hmm. uh and it's normal now so, and then you also turn into a spectator culture. You know, this happened to the classicals too, and I get into it a little bit in the book that there was a shift from the um, Roman, from the Greek culture to the Roman culture, where the sports and athletics went from being basically war preparation for free men to being uh, a spectacle that professionals do and that a slave like commoner class just watches you know and we, we kind of see that again even now recently with mma culture where you get a lot of mma commentators that you know i have no real connection to it and it becomes this sort of realm of 
of professionals where you're expected as a common person to just watch. You know, same with other sports is obviously too. It's probably even worse with the other sports, like the typical football fan. Yeah. Um, sitting on his couch, stuffing his it's face. It's disgusting. I, I think I so I, removed. <laughs> yeah, so removed from what's happening on the field that it it, it does become a little disgusting. It, you know, it's not even just that. It, it's just disgusting. I mean, it's it's disgusting because it's the lack of self awareness. I mean, I remember seeing recently, <clears throat> you know, this video of this man. I don't even follow football. I personally hate football because. The only sports that I actually like are blood sports, you know, and it's, you know, MMA, boxing, etc. And even then, I don't watch professional fights. Rarely do I. What I do like is doing them. And ultimately, uh, there is a very big difference cognitively between, you know, spectating, as you say, and doing it. I mean, and we see that even it's down to sex and what they do with pornography, which is um, voyeurism. And the, the worst thing... Um, that I think that has ca been caused by feminism or rather Marxism in general is this emphasis on non-conflict, on um, peace, and I don't know what you would even call it, but what it causes this malaise, which you have laid out, where men have become so atrophied with dealing with life itself, with conflict itself, that we just become slaves because ultimately we become so unaccustomed to acting in the world. And I, I mean, the worst thing I think that happens by by consequence of that is that when, you know, bad men break the law, you have become so neutered that you have no, you, you become um, uh, irresponsible, you know, irresponsible, right? You derelict in the duty of the Constitution, for instance. If someone breaks the Constitution back in the day, they'd hold you to account because they had the power of coercion to hold it against you. But who now has the courage to do that? Who now has the courage to um, not only act, but act without permission? And I think that is precisely what a warrior spirit is about, is about not seeking permission, but acting, acting in the world as it is, which is struggle and uh, survival. And, you know, I, I think it bears out in reality um, how things are shaking out now. And I, I'm very sanguine about the future because I believe, I believe that there are men like you, there are men like uh, many other on the internet, but in person who are seeing that life starts with action. I mean, have you watched Fight Club by any chance? Yeah, I've, Fight club. Yeah, what's your what's it's your? It's been a little. It's been a little while, but uh, yeah, I I think it's overall, it's you know it, it's fine. It's uh, it's I don't really have a problem with it. I maybe not as entertained by it as some others, but mm -hmm. um, no, you know, I, I kind of approach film and movies in the same way that I do sports, and that you know I it can be interesting. I can engage with it, but I don't. I try not to get too excited about it of course um of course there's that spectator aspect that i think we have to resist a little bit of getting too immersed into like fandom of spectating you know? <laughs> so. yeah yeah i mean i i think you're right and I, I think what i'm just trying to get at precisely is that the good thing about stories and i'm not telling people to be constantly watching tv or whatever but what i wanted to get at is the is the story of a man who basically is in that same situation, that, you know, a spiritual torpor that comes from a uh, consumer society where you're always spectating and living, and life is happening on the outside. And what it takes is ultimately having the courage to break with that and, you know, I guess get in a little bit of trouble, get in a little bit of uh, pain, a little bit of, um, you know, fortitude, and exposing yourself to that kind of stuff, that's where life really starts. That's where it really starts freaking pumping your heart as opposed to, you know, you're just, <laughs> just floating through life. And, um, you know, I guess that's one of the most important things for me about jiu-jitsu or martial arts. And, I, I, you know, you told me that your main background is in boxing, but, I mean, it paints the rest of your psyche down to its core about the reality of life. If you're a fighting man, you perceive everything from that basic premise that there is an opposing force and that the only way to see 
your benefit manifests is by overcoming that force. And I think most people don't feel that way. They think if we can just talk about our feelings and uh, we can just find the correct mathematical solution that somehow everything will be okay. And that's not the case. You know, the, uh, the yeah. cemeteries are full of men who were right and didn't have anything to, to back that up with. I mean, is am I right? Do you think uh, that's yeah. correct? Yeah, I, I think it's correct. And, and I'll maybe highlight something about the book is I have a very pragmatic type of mindset. So the perspective that the book is coming from, what it's trying to deliver briefly is it's trying to be a reference for how someone, you know, if they're a young person or they're a father or they are engaging with someone who, you know, tends to be younger, it's hard to kind of get started in this way of life if you're a senior citizen. But uh, what are you going to tell them and what are the references for them so that they can develop their mind and they can develop their skill set and they can develop the physicality uh, involved in fighting and different types of fighting. And that's really what the book is for. It's a framework and it's not about, you know, acting like you're some kind of ultimate warrior walking through our society, but it's more of just sort of treating it as this is just something you need to do. And here's why you need to do it. Um, and just like, you know, someone that's operating a a motor vehicle, their car, they should know how their car works. They should know, you know, what the purpose of various things are in the car. And, and to me, living as a man, you have this body and this physicality and there's a purpose to it. And, and part of that purpose is combat. And part of that purpose is fighting with other people, whether it's um, having to defend, you know, defend someone in your family when they're getting mistreated or whether it's self-defense or whether you know, whatever it is. So that's what the purpose of the book is mm -hmm. to a framework that can introduce people that maybe don't have this background and aren't sure where, you know, they should start or where they think their, their nephew should start or their son should start. Exactly. Um, so that's where it's coming from. So, but, you know, to answer the broader question, you know, the whole thing though opens up a large door, which is that there's a legal structure here that is, oriented against almost everything that you just said. Like, look at the example of, uh, what is his name, Penny? I think his name is Penny in New York. Mm -hmm. The guy that he restrained the, the black guy on the subway, and then the black oh, yeah, guy, the violent guy a heart yeah. attack or something, yeah. and then now Penny's getting charged or whatever. I mean, Penny was using, like, he didn't bust out a gun, right? He, he didn't even bust out a knife. There was no weapon involved. He restrained them with grappling te techniques and basically put them to sleep. And the guy, you know, because he was on drugs or whatever, uh, died. So now he's getting charged for murder. So the, you know, so part of the other thing that you have to think about when you're embracing this martial perspective is part of the thought is how you can approach these problems without hopefully. Uh, unnecessarily landing yourself in prison too to mm -hmm. be thinking about that and that's why we have different modes of combat that we have to talk about you know when if you just write a whole book where you're just talking about firearms <laughs> you know there's going to be times when firearms aren't wise because you're going to i mean look at uh look at some of the famous examples in the last couple of years you know the guy in texas that was uh you know he did maybe I think his name was Perry, wasn't it? Like one, one is Penny, one the other one is Perry. But the one that was convicted in Texas for during the BLM riots, where somebody approached his car with a rifle, I think, and then I think he fired his revolver through oh. the car window, yeah, and was charged with murder and convicted of murder. So the right when you start bringing guns into the picture, you know, that's a whole different legal dynamic, especially when you start thinking of it turns into sort of a Vladimir Lenin, um, who, whom discussion of like, who is it that's it's shot and are they a protected, you know, like, uh, exalted, right. Are they my client class? <laughs> so, you know, so you might have to think about a different mod modality there where you're just dealing with, maybe you're dealing with a problem where you have to do use your hands or maybe, mm -hmm. um, you know, some other type of non-lethal weapon is something you need to think about, but that's, 
Hey, they, they keep on jamming our comms, so we're back. So you're just talking about, uh, you know, knowing, having different tools in your belt, in your martial belt, if that makes sense. So if you keep on going with that, if you don't mind. Yeah, so really what you have to have is, ideally, you're going to have different ways of approaching a problem. And I think where people get very um, stuck is they take an all-consuming approach of you get guys that all they would talk about is guns and that you know and you see them and they're posting these videos of they've got their plates on and they're you know running around with their ARs yeah. and they're doing different shoots and they're just talking about but the reality is are you going to need to solve all of the problems in front of you are you going to be able to do that with a rifle and probably not you know the typical uh, if you're taking your family out somewhere and you have uh, a, let's say you have an elderly mom or you have an elderly aunt or something and they're getting bothered by someone, you're not going to take care of that problem by driving home, getting your plates and your rifle and then showing up again, right? So that that's a problem that might require violence, but it's not going to be violence of that type. Right. Same thing on the other end. You get people that are hyper-focused on uh, BJJ and Muay Thai and MMA-focused things, boxing, and they act as if the whole world and, and fighting and everything revolves around, um, you know, a, 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 an octagon. And that's not true as well either, right? So if you're, you know, if you're Kyle Rittenhouse and you're trying to make your way through, uh, what was he in Milwaukee, if I remember? The, uh, the, or, Kenosha or, or something. It was Kenosha. That's right. It was somewhere in Wisconsin or southern Wisconsin. So, and you're trying to make your way through on that night, and you got guys running at you with a Glock handgun, and you got guys trying to beat your head in with a skateboard. At that point, yeah, then firearms are the proper solution, right? But you have to have a uh, a varied approach or ability to have a varied approach, or you're going to have problems. You're going to land in prison. So, you know, and we saw even with. Um, I was talking about the, the New York uh, gentleman, Penny, I think his name was, mm-hmm. or was it Perry? One I think it's two, Perry. He, yeah, so he's on the subway, then he ends up using grappling skills, and he, he chokes the guy out, the black guy, the black guy dies, and then now Perry's under uh, under criminal charges, I think, for some variant of you know homicide. So, mm-hmm. They, and that's the situation where he didn't use a gun or a knife, and here he is facing prison time, too. So the legal regime, the overall point is the legal regime is going to dictate certain things unless you don't care about going to prison. <laughs> so, And if you don't care about going to prison, then you know, you're, that's where you are. But I think most of us do, mm-hmm. uh, and therefore you have to have the ability to modulate. And the legal regime is always going to be relevant. Same thing on that leadership point. You, know, you could be uh, the greatest man in history, but if you're not at least thinking about how you're going to approach things, then you're going to run up into uh, a legal problem. And you so, know, we see even currently with uh, Trump and all this other stuff that's happening with these high profile court cases is that using the court system is a huge weapon um, of the establishment. So you have, we have to be aware of that. You know, okay, so I like pivoting right off of that is is this concept that I, I, I constantly harp on, and I think Americans are uniquely, uh, how do I say this? Uh, they're uniquely culturally deprived of the greater meaning of war and combat, is that basically all of that is in furtherance of a political end. And what is a, pol- a political end? Really, it's just seeing what you want to see in the world manifest, right? It's basically seeing your benefit manifest. And ultimately, you know, you touched on this with, of course, uh, civil disturbance and getting into fights that might land you in, in jail and prison. But no one considers, of course, that even the, the, the court of law is, a, is a, an arena of war and that ultimately it's it's something i want people to get thinking about because it's not just uh just as you touched you know it's not just about mma or focusing on small unit tactics or you know whatever conventional sense but it's also the understanding that these you know coercive tactics or coercion as such leads to political outcomes and that ultimately 
it's also those political outcomes that we should be seeking to extend. And ultimately, I think conservatives really make this mistake. I'm not a conservative myself. You know, I'm, I, you know, I'm a patriot. It's different. And I think that ultimately conservatives need to start understanding that um, the law is an arena for war. It's not this impartial, weird contract bullshit. You know what I mean? And that uh, yeah. what's that implication is that, of course, you can take it over. You can make the court work for your favor. You can also hold, you know, the friend enemy distinction, which is a, a massive teaching of the warrior, which is this, is that, you know, everyone who helps me in my ends are my friends. Everyone who, you know, is in the way is a different shade of enemy. And to see the world in friend enemy distinction, you know, Carl Schmidt or, so, or whatever, is really helpful because you are disarmed if you are, and I know that you might disagree with me, but if you are a Christian and you believe that everyone has a certain uh, soul or, you know, they have a, a certain protection that they must be given or extended rights or something, or like if you're a liberal or communist, do you believe that everyone is part of the same hive mind and that ultimately no one's anywhere different but i think that's wrong and i think that you see this being borne out with you know the communists in power is that they are ruthless about making sure they that people know that they're on either their team or the opposite team and uh i guess that's kind of why i want people to really get in touch with the warrior dynamic because implicit in that understanding is the friend enemy distinction i mean would you agree yeah, I I agree with that. It's it's important, I think, to have a different framework. Now that said, I think you can disagree with that. I don't. I, I agree with it, but I think you can disagree with it and still get some benefit from. I think conservatives, for instance, which I'm not either, uh, can get benefit from learning martial skills. But I think the at, at the end of the day, if you are thinking about what is the purpose of what I'm doing with my life. And, and once you take a look at things from a political perspective, you're always going to fall on the fact that there, that the friend enemy distinction is important as vital and it's central mm -hmm. to any effective way of, of combating, you know, the regime and system. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's interesting. I think, uh, and, and it's part of the reason why at Lance's Legion, like, I go into the political, like political science, I go into, you know, Machiavelli and how to govern, how to administrate, how, all the things that are, you know, a total human being. And I think that's why, in my heart, I believe that warriors are a total human being, because you can just see the breadth of knowledge required to master even just the basics, you know, for instance, you know, conventional arms, as well as, of course, you know, mixed martial arts, and of course, everything downstream from that politics and governance and so on and philosophy. And I think it should be telling to those who are listening that people like Putin, for instance, who is himself a great statesman, and I, I don't think I've met anyone who has said otherwise, whether you like him or not, he's a Sambo freaking black belt. You know what I mean? This guy's like uh, super good at what he does. And I think uh, it bears out that most of history's greatest men are the world's greatest commanders and warriors. I mean, like, if, you know, do you have any in your mind that kind of point out as like, uh, I guess, paradigms of uh, adulation personally for you? Yeah, I put a few in the in the book itself towards the, the later chapters, but I would say if one jumps out since we're having a political discussion like the one politician that jumps out that i think is uh maybe a little different than the others is andrew jackson mm -hmm. um because he's not only we've had several presidents obviously that have served in different wars you know starting with our first president but uh jackson i think was the only man that killed a man in a duel i think he's the only president that did that and he not only served in a war, but he had volunteered for uh, the Revolutionary War when he was underage still. So I think he was 13 or 14 at the time. Um, so he, you know, was a Tennessee, Tennessee, went back when it was frontier through and through and uh, was really probably the model of the warrior ideal. You know, there was an assassination attempt 
on him too, where I think he ended up beating the shit out of the guy with his. Team. Oh yeah, I remember that. That was um, awesome. And he's dueled a number of men uh, who were incur- discourteous to his wife, to say the least. And uh, he killed a, m- a number of them too. I think that was pretty awesome. I mean, what's your, you know, we should bring back dueling. What do you think? Yeah, you know, dueling is an interesting thing. It's it's uh, it's sort of a vestige of a more barbaric time where. You know, sometimes I, I haven't done a whole lot of this recently. I did actually the other day when I was talking about um, Billy Bud on Twitter. But the there's a tension right between uh, honor, which is a very barbaric at its root concept, um, and civilization. And as your civilization goes, and you saw that with the Roman civilization, you see that today, Western civilization that. The as the civilization progresses, the sense of honor kind of necessarily diminishes. And with that, what is a duel? I mean, it's the ultimate expression of honor, right? It's a personal insult. It's an it's an attack on your personal integrity as a man that gets violent mm-hmm. payback. And it's a formalized kind of ritualized system where it's a fair fight, and you know it has these sort of very Aryan trappings to it where you're not ambushing the guy and paying him back or whatever, but you're meeting openly according to, you know, pistol rules or, or, um, dueling sabers. But the, you know, that is a system that the only vestige of it that survives today. And I think that's dying too, is, um, you know, the schoolyard fight mm-hmm. where, you know, kids fighting in school. But I, I think they've cracked down on that so much, you know, this last, generation that that i don't even think it happens that much anymore but um but that's probably the last real vestige of it and i don't even know what people would do if you um you know i guess there's another exception i could i would say and that's which i applaud which is this um celebrity boxing stuff that's been going on the last couple of years that i think i think it's good a good expression because i think once again it reminds you that that violence is a part of life. So if you're running your mouth at somebody else that, you know, even if they're not going to come to kill you and split your head open at, at the very minimum, if you have to face getting in a ring with them, yeah, then, you know, that might sort of change your course of conduct. And we've gotten to the point now online where routinely, like you've seen this, you spend any time on Twitter or X, you're going to see people, saying the most obnoxious stuff to each other um, because there's zero repercussion for it, like physical repercussion mm-hmm. for it. And, and so you, you know, I'm kind of glad that that culture's come back a little bit of calling people out and, and fighting. You know, the corollary is interesting is that they told us, you know, or at least they told me that when they tried brainwashing me and my peers uh, that if you're just peaceful, man, like everything will be fine, you know? And, um, and basically, we're seeing that that was just a ploy and manipulation. And Nietzsche talks about this. He talks about how the slave caste, they utilize cleverness and emotional guilt and manipulation and furtherance of their personal power. Because now you see all these pencil necks in power that are malicious and insidious in their various forms. And to me, they're not very they're, they're not even really that clever. I mean, I, I, I don't know, dude, like... <laughs> it's very easy to to see their mind games. I'm kind of immune to it, but the thing is, it's just so powerful to people who are normal, especially women, um, who are more like effeminate, and basically they believe that if they can get guilt tripped into everything, and then they get like suckered into it. And I think uh, really it was it was the social engineering of trying to get uh, people to be peaceful to make way for people like that. It was just a way to get, stop getting stomped on because back in the day you conned someone, you got shot in the face. You know what I mean? That's why uh, Americans don't know why American culture is so polite. The reason why we are so polite is a vestige from the frontier culture where basically, (laughs) you know, even slight, slight, uh, slights of honor and, uh, considerations of cheating or not holding up your word were grounds enough to be killed and um, you relied very much on your neighbor for mutual survival especially out in the frontier against whether it's indian raids 
or, you know, interscene conflict or even just the wildlife itself that was, you know, untamed and powerful. And ultimately, I, I believe that there's no such thing as honor culture going away or coming back. It just simply, just like a muscle, it atrophies or it strengthens. And, and that I think the reason why Americans are slaves to the world is because they have no sense of self-worth, self-honor, self-love. And basically, that is why they're such good slaves and why, you know, they, they're they so depressed, really, at the end of the day and why things are kind of falling apart. So I completely agree with you on that. And I think that your book has done wonders, especially because I have some younger friends and they've read your book, which I'm very grateful for, by the way, that you actually took the time to sit down and write it out. Um, but, you know, if you have any, like, parting advice for the younger generation coming up, uh, what would it be? You know, I would say that the overall advice would be that you have to be careful to not get ensnared into systems that you don't want to be in bed with. So, and this ties in a little bit to the fighting, but I'm going to take a little bit of a detour here. The, you know, the first thing being the people get sucked into a, a particular, don't they figure I got to make some money and they get kind of pulled into a certain type of education or a certain type of job. And then they get sort of sucked down that road. And then these physical aspects to life become just flushed down the drain because, you know, guys saying, well, you know, I'm day trading stocks. What do I need to know about? Why do I need to do show up at my MMA class or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in a line of work that has nothing to do with it. It makes you know, it has no connection to my life. I don't see what the cost benefit is. Or they get sucked into systems, you know, including being on Twitter and being on social media and being on where you get pulled into these very artificial things that are separating you from your core manhood and your. Um, so I, I caution people to be aware of that. And the reason why it's important, again, comes down to at the when it rubber meets the road on something you're going to fall back on these skills, right? So when sooner or later, if you have something in this world, that means you're going to have something that can be taken from you. That means you have something that can be, needs to be protected. You know, if you have nothing, you have no property, you have no family, you have no, then, you know, maybe you can skirt by that way, but that's not what most people want, right? They, they want to have something, whether it's family, property, money, whatever. And at and those things can be taken from you. And the way that you can prevent some of that being taken from you is your capability to engage in violence. Mm -hmm. So you have to have, you know, sort of a baseline skill to just like being able to prepare food and, and basic skills, you know, hygiene skills that you just need to be able to do these things. You have to devote at least some time to doing it. Um, so that would be my, general advice is that you have to spend some time and energy in the physical realm mm -hmm. and you can't i think it's very because i see this as an older person in myself that sometimes i feel like i'm um spend too much time on um fucking around on x today uh <laughs> need to get back to doing some other shit so because it can get turned into a time suck and i think it's even worse for people that are doing other artificial things maybe they're doing video games maybe they're doing uh you know day trading like i was talking about and they have these kind of artificial very abstract um, connection to life in the world and i i think at some point you have to have the physical connection uh, and that's something that you're always going to fall back on and it's always going to be needed sooner or later and the it's just important to be able to pull away from those things and not just be purely abstract person and 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 getting into weights and getting into fight training and getting into firearms is all are all ways to do that you know i i just i think that's awesome and and this reminds me of one nco that i had and he told me that my job is really easy to understand it's hard to do and I think that's applicable not just to, of course, infantry, but it, I think it's applicable to life. Because ultimately, people mindfuck, and they think that life is a lot harder than it is when it's really simple. And, um, you know, 
I think a lot of the young generation, because everything has become so abstract and ephemeral, that ultimately they're deprived of actually engaging in it. And that ultimately these proxies, which you allude to, which is X or video games or whatever, is is not life. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, it's not life. And, and I say this as a young dude who's been on the internet, who plays video games, who's had, you know, since I was a young kid, um, who's had these time sucks on my life. You have to recognize it as like... Uh, like alcohol is, you know, you can drink a lot, but you know it's going to take its toll. Ultimately, I think the important part about living life is that you're living as a person in reality, engaging with it, and embracing pain. I think that's the most important part is yeah. embracing pain because life is pain. And people think it's going to be a euphoric experience the entire time. That it's a, If it's not a gravy train, then it's, it's wrong and bad or worse. If it's just numb or something, that that's somehow life. I, couldn't, I can't urge you hard enough to run towards pain. Because I promise you, if you run towards pain, your life on the other end will be a lot better. And the peaks of euphoria will far exceed anything that some meaningless freaking twig has ever told you is any, has any meaning. So ultimately, you know, I just wanted to say thank you so much, Clark Savage. You have been such an important cultural impetus out there, but also, you know, such a good dude. I really appreciate it. And for those legionaries who are listening, uh, just check out Clark Savage. He's I'm going to put his Twitter handle below so you can get at him. Um, But also just thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Have a good night and look forward to seeing this get posted. But uh, good luck to you. You too, sir. Thank you so much.